episode of the Art vs. Commerce podcast. This week is with director Maddie Brown. Um, it's such an interesting conversation. Maddie has a really unique story, um, having grown up in and out of homelessness, which uh, he speaks about pretty candidly and how it influenced his work. And then also just the way that he thinks and the way that he expresses his ideas. It's all quite clear that there is just this constant engine that is on that's a creative engine that you know constantly thinking about the way things um, can be filmed and thinking about the emotions behind them I think it's pretty apparent um, just in listening to the flow of our conversation how you get a sense for how his mind works and I think if you know his work which you should check out on Vimeo he I, I don't know if it's still the case but as of last year as an individual he's had the most Vimeo staff picks ever of anyone um, I think it's north of 15, 17, something like that. Um, it's astounding, especially because as he describes it, a lot of it is, it's films made out of nothing in the sense of making stories based off of visuals, based off of going on a trip and not knowing what you're going to film and figuring out in post an, uh, a three-act structure and figuring out over time what his style has been. He started at you know, when, when Vimeo was really just getting off the ground where, you know, that world was very supportive, very communal, and it really fostered in the beginning those types of films, like two to four minute internet films that were just visuals of a place. And he did them better than everybody else. And it wasn't certainly not in competition. It was just more that it was always so interesting and unique in terms of the way that the edits came together, that it wasn't just so straightforward. And he's managed to keep that alive and has blossomed into a massive commercial career um, where, you know, his first commercial job, which we, we talk about the story, but it ends up being his DP ends up being uh, the DP who did The Great Gatsby. So you go from a DIY situation by yourself, you know, running around with mini, a mini DV cam. You know, I think he said he, he used a mini DV cam for the first seven staff picks. That's just unbelievable how long you can just stay with the low res, you know, low tech stuff because his, the quality of his work had nothing to do with that. And obviously, I think you can make the argument that that's the strongest work anyway, because it is about the content and the emotion. And, you know, he can create high emotion and, and deep textured feeling with next to nothing from a tech standpoint. And that's been his strength. And now in the past couple of years, you know, he's on sets with 80 people running around with an Alexa and, you know, DPs of major Hollywood films. You know, that's how far his success has gone. And I think it's quite clear about where it's still heading. Um, we spoke at length about a short film that is almost done. It's still in post called Thump and that he's also going to be turning into a, a feature film. And we talk about all of this and um, it's just great. I've been following him for at least eight years. Uh, the first time we've actually ever spoke. And it's so cool to, you know, who he is and how he expresses himself, even just in audio, is just fascinating because it kind of resembles his style in, in videos. And I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. And so as, as he points out and, you know, self-deprecates, um, he has a stutter, just um, that's a part of him. And, uh, you know, I don't know, it, it's just a part of the conversation and it, all, all of it, the way that he thinks and, and how he speaks and it all makes a lot more sense about the type of work that he puts out because I just think, and, and his background, you know, the hard childhood because he does like dark things and it's like understanding that full package of who he is as a person, uh, watching his work again, it all, it all makes that much more sense. So it was really cool personally for me to just finally speak with Maddie. Um, like I said, most staff picks of anybody on the planet, pretty cool. And especially knowing how sincere and, uh, and genuine he is. Just some housekeeping. If you can like and comment on iTunes, that will help spread the uh, conversation and the show further. We're on all social media channels at AVC Pod. That's our handle. And for any inquiries, questions, or uh, guest ideas, you can email uh, this show's producer, Courtney Ryan, at Courtney at AVCPod.com. So this week, Maddie Brown. Yeah, so Thump was about, um, well, Thump is about, like, this little uh, boy that sees his grandpa die in front of his eyes with a um, heart attack, 
and the boy starts to get worried that his own heart will stop and so he starts to kind of spiral out of control into this kind of like a like a really bad like mental state you know and he starts to have like you know, panic attacks and almost have a heart attack himself because he kind of has like a just this huge like like anxiety attack that makes him kind of collapse you know yeah and uh so he gets a stethoscope and starts to listen to his heart he calms down and stuff but then as he like as a kid really curious starts to like test the like you know the like impulse of other things like a car or like a tree or something like that he starts believing that it's actually killing those things and taking their life or giving life if it's already dead and stuff and so he's you can't tell if it's in his mind or not the whole film and it really kind of spirals out of control and into his like your mental illness you know oh um, wow so it's kind of a it's it's really intense drama it's not a thriller but it's like an intense drama that's how i th- i think of it <laughs> i i get that did you did you write that? Well, it, it was originally written by like another person, uh, Larry Selberfine, and he uh, he wrote it as it, it was more like kind of a children's film, you know, it's like a really kind of heartfelt little piece about just a boy who uh, just had the, 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 this like anxiety, and then he meets a little girl, and then his heart kind of gets so loud because it's kind of it, it just gets so loud that he doesn't need to hear it anymore because he hears it anyway because he's so in love with this girl oh but uh but you adapted me, that I'm, a little? I'm really well i'm really dark so i i love dark stuff and i just like going into the, like the human psyche and just really kind of uh pushing people to their limits basically yeah and uh so for this i really wanted to like make the story move even further and because you know kids have such huge imaginations and i wanted to really have that come across in it and really touch on like adult you know topics in a children's film and so it yeah kind of blending uh genres i guess and that's cool um, and the closer we got to shooting, the darker the film felt. And then as we we're filming it, the darker the film got. <laughs> and now we're editing it, and it's really intense and like literally like the roar of a train because there's a lot of train themes in the film. And uh, you know, trains are like big, scary, like. And you're you're happy with how it's coming together. Oh yeah, it's 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 such a beautiful film, and uh, I, I don't know if I'm gonna say beautiful because it's intense, <laughs> but, but it's that like. Can be. I understand. It's intensely be, beautiful, it I be guess, both. or it's you know, beautifully yeah. intense. I don't know, but uh, where do you think? Um, where do you think being attracted to dark stories comes from? That's interesting. That that that's how you took uh, what like some sort of screenplay and took it to to a place that you described as a little darker. Well, I think like with a lot of stories, I you know I guess everyone kind of relates a lot of things. To, into their lives when they write stuff and they make stuff or whatever and they like and, they're, and then their like emotions are kind of like you know are trailings of their like past and stuff like that you know uh and so mine it's like i had a pretty intense crazy childhood kind of like this kid like really you know out of this world kind of intensity for like some kid in the united states would have you know um but you know i, I grew up really poor and like we like were we were homeless at like multiple times in my childhood and then there was a point where we we like became very 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 homeless for a while and then kind of how old were you when that was happening uh well i mean it kind of happened my whole childhood so like from like the age of four to 13 like we were off and on homeless and like moving around and stuff but on the at the age of 13 well actually the age of 12 we, we we went homeless and we were homeless for about a year or something like that and then into 13 is when like our family kind of just got separated and i was this like 13 year old kid that was like alone and i i was like able to stay with my mom's like ex-boyfriends for a little while because mm. they were just there and but then that that just kind of fell apart and it so it sounds really quite challenging i mean just yeah normal normal survival sounds, yeah sounds so at, like at a, that point like a, for like 10 months or something i was like on my own like i was having to lie to, what do you mean well i was like you know homeless on my own at the age of like 13 years old and so i was like having to uh lie to people so that I didn't get caught that I was homeless because I was I mean at the age of like at that like age you were still going to school yeah it was the only I mean school was the only thing that like was able to help me survive because I I was able to eat like free lunch and I was able to kind of wash you are that iconic um story of how how school lunches can be the only exactly which is actually interesting because we're actually writing the feature of like the thump right now and um and that's one of the things that happens in the film is that they lose the school lunch because of the like in government like you're taking it away 
and there's one less meal on the table and the and the and the kids are already really scrawny and like i mean it the like feature really touches on my childhood like it's almost like i mean it is like like an autobiographical film with a lot of surreal like elements it's it's kind of like a mixture of like pan's labyrinth and uh, gummo you know it's just a really interesting <laughs> mixture but that's super cool but it's no, but that's a great way to tackle such hard you know subject matter in yeah, a way that's a sure. bit more digestible because it does enter into the surreal at times yeah for sure i mean and the only thing that kept me going was like uh writing stories and that's like basically what i did i just i just had like a journal and i just wrote wrote, wrote you know well while you were homeless yeah exactly and i and right what kind of stories were you writing were they creative or were they more like uh j- journal no they entries? were really like i mean the, the only like escape i could do was like talking about worlds that i'm not in and like just kind of surviving by like pretending that this world exists and like you know oh and like, whatever you know and so like after I kind of got rescued, I guess, from being homeless. My most of my f- family didn't know that I was homeless, like really? no one did, and they were kind of off the grid, so no one really knew what was happening. That's so interesting because I don't think anyone really understands. I, me included, yeah. you know. I guess homelessness can happen. The details of someone's homeless situation can be so wildly different that every story is truly sure. unique in terms of For like sure. the variables at play and yeah. and the, the ways in which someone's homeless, the ways in which it affects people's lives, like what family members know. And the fact that you can have family members that stay in contact with you and not know that you're homeless is yeah. astounding to me. Well, you know? actually, in that time, I, I wasn't in contact with any of them. They like... Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, yeah. They, they like had... had, had like like an address that they thought we were at where all of our Christmas cards went. I mean, I didn't even see the Christmas cards. You know what I mean? So, and then after like, you know, 10 months or something like that, they were coming up and like finally realized like what was going on. And then like within a month, they, they like got a house for us and all, everyone kind of chipped in. But at that point that like all the, like, you know, damage was done on me already. And I was kind of traumatized and scared of people in the world. And I was like, really like my cheeks were like sunken in and, just completely, um, I don't know. I was like, I came out of a freaking, uh, I don't know, a prison or something. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, but, yeah. But I basically, when you first, like, mm-hmm, go ahead. But I, but I basically, after that, I just kind of like locked myself in my room and didn't come out and just wrote constantly there because. And then at that point, I had like a, a like a TV and a VCR, so I would like watch movies like constantly, and that's how I really got into like visual storytelling. And that, I've always been really like in visual anyway, and I've always wanted to tell like stories, you know, to people visually. And so I just kind of wrote and wrote and wrote because it was the cheapest way to tell a story, of, you know. And then mm-hmm. my family they kind of pitched in after a couple of years and like got me a camera, and then that's when I just was outside. Your extended like, family that you like were living with now. No, it was my it was my real family. Like once they like realized what was going on, like that they like one of them moved in with us. One was like you know like helping us with the house, like all that kind of stuff. And so they kind of saw that things were kind of you know derailed, and they like took charge of this situation and made it uh, not n- not amazing, but like uh, I wasn't homeless, so it was nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, but gosh, I, I can't imagine that. Transition. But I basically had to become in look. Like an adult at the age of like 13 and understand like the necessities of like food, shelter, all that kind of stuff. And like yeah. when you when you don't have food and you become and you lose like 50 pounds of weight and you look like you've just come out of the Holocaust or something. <laughs> I mean, I was like I was so gaunt and so like skeletal that I'm mm. surprised that no teachers actually questioned me. Or any of that it's almost, stuff. It's you almost know. a shame that they that that, that yeah. was. I mean, it I is mean, a shame I was that that wasn't I caught. was really good at hiding it. I, I definitely lied to people like where I was going. I was going to go sleep in someone's carport, but I was lying to them saying I was going home. You know what I mean? So it's not just their fault. I I like had a lot to do. But I mean, if you if you saw pictures of me like looking back then or whatever, I think there's like three only that like friends at school took, and uh, wow. I looked like I mean. I, I would have questioned a kid if, if they looked like that, you know what I mean? But, yeah. uh, well, when you, when you finally got out of it and you started, it sounds like you kind of got lost in visual storytelling and things like, but that was only when you were 13. If we fast forward to either, I don't know when, when did you first start making movies and when you did, you know, what were they like? And were, did you have bigger goals to like actually take that seriously as a craft? 
or was it not like how are you processing wanting to do that type of expression well i think i was 16 when i got my uh video camera and i i mean I just automatically told myself it's not realistic. I will never become a filmmaker because I don't have money. I come from this. I, I you know, it's just, it was a dream that w I never thought I would travel the world. I, I never thought I would even leave the West Coast. Like, did telling yourself that, was it like, did it add as to a creative block or you were making it pretty well, it was, easily anyway, it but was, you just was, had this thought that it wouldn't go anywhere? Well, I just didn't think it would go anywhere, but I mean, I couldn't, I like could not help but make stuff. Whether I was playing with like different kinds of like makeup, like gore or like a monster, like whatever on my face and like videotaping it, I, I didn't even care like what, what was going on. It was, I was more worried about like suicide and like falling into the spiral because I was really like, completely gone like mentally and so the only thing to keep mm -hmm. me out of it was to be as creative and expressive just doing that stuff and getting lost in this like fantasy world basically and that was for like five years or something it was it was a really substantial like amount of time that i didn't see many of my friends very often none of my friends came over to my house i was too like i was i was just embarrassed of everything about myself and um so, I mean, and then I even tried to go to college after school and I just kind of locked myself in the in the dorm room and I just watched, you know, movies and I wrote scripts. I, I, I wrote a feature film in like three days. It, it was oh like, it was like 180 pages long. It was like a three hour film and, and I wrote it all in three days and, and I like sent it to the like drama teacher, like of that school or whatever, I don't remember, but he read it and he was like, holy crap, you wrote this in three days and it's so intricate and there's so many things going on and I was like yeah because this stuff like sits in my head and I I like know it front to back and so I can just like you know you just like you know pump it out and so he said you should be a writer and, and everything and I was like I would love to write screenplays and everything but uh, I want to be a visual as well and uh, but I never thought I, I mean, cause being like a director, even just making a short, like, you know, narrative film, it's, it's a daunting process if you want to make it awesome and stuff, you know, and there's so many people like involved and I didn't want to disappoint anyone. So I just decided like, I'll just, I'll do stuff by myself, but I don't want to do stuff with other people because I don't want to like ruin their, like. There's, uh, I just had a really bad like self worth basically, and so I, mm. but I couldn't help well, but create. I mean, that was. The, it's that interesting was the, though because that sets you up. Because I like I, I told you off off air. I've known of your work since like back in the early days of Vimeo when you know a few people were putting out a lot of stuff that was definitely DIY or like individual, mm -hmm. but it was very it was like you know new internet or tour filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And and it was like individuals who were putting stuff out on Vimeo and inspiring others. Um, you know, I th when I think back to that time, I think about you. I think about Karen Abad. I think about Patrick Lawler. Yeah, and like <laughs> you know, and both of them are, are good friends of mine. And Patrick's been on the podcast. And it's like it almost sounds like the anxiety you had in terms of doing a more traditional filmmaking route by having a lot of people and instead going alone set you up perfectly for the platform that Vimeo was just about to start providing for people. Yeah, it's crazy. Like Vimeo was, I mean, I don't know if you remember like AI or something. I always think of like Vimeo as the blue fairy at the end of the film, but like it's real <laughs> and it's not going to crumble. It's like really there to kind of like, it kind of encapsulated me and just protected me. It was amazing. It really protected my like curious imaginative mind from letting myself fail at that point because mm. their their constant sense of encouragement and pushing me yeah. and all that kind of stuff they just and not just the staff but all the people on the website they were just like they were just pushing me to keep going and going and going and that was the thing that fueled me and that's why like once I started posting on there I just couldn't stop I would just run to the park and I would film like autumn leaves and try to like experiment with it and I made this like glitchy autumn leaf video that was like kind of abstract and weird music and stuff like that and it was my I first I remember it man like it was I, my like first staff pick videos. actually and I and I didn't know yeah. what staff picks were then at all and I was like why are there so many views on this I don't where are they coming from I didn't know anything back then <laughs> 
And then, but it's it's just, I mean, having people to support you like that and to like push you is like that, like really fueled me like, holy crap, I might be able to actually do this with, I mean, with my validation. life eventually. I still, I, I mean, fuck, like when I first started posting on Vimeo, I was working at a doggy fucking daycare, picking up piss and shit all day and for like minimum wage. And I worked there for, for like five and a half years. It was my first job, the only job I ever had because I was too scared to do anything else i was too scared to fail and i in my mind i knew i was going to fail at filmmaking i I knew i was not going to be able to like do it and so i was just too scared to try at that point and so i was i but at the same time i was getting a vimeo staff pick after vimeo staff pick making I mean, stupid don't you crap have the most you know? of any anyone like, i not i don't know about, about now but yeah but it's like it's like it's like you know definitely up there it's something but it's, it's something crazy i think last year was definitely the the world record but now i mean like, i think it's been like a year and a half since i've gotten like a staff pick because i've been really focusing on like in commercials and like getting yeah, like yeah. these like in narratives going. but still but uh, I mean, but it, it, I mean, it's it's definitely like I have to credit a Vimeo like massively for lifting me my like head above the mud so I could see the clouds and like and then I started to be able to lift myself up out of well, it. I was gonna I was gonna ask because back in the beginning of that time, like that was also you know it took the commercial world a second to realize the you know it's almost like um, the farm system of baseball like that they could just check out this work that was coming out and that yeah. like you know staff picks started off as a cool thing and then it became a very important thing yeah um, and you were there for that you know the ascendancy of you is in coordination with the ascendancy of Vimeo's clout from an industry sta- standpoint for and sure. like when what was the first moment you think or maybe the first video that you started to get real attention and I would imagine people coming to you from either agencies or commercial mm-hmm. world like when did you start to realize oh like there's a bigger profession here because of the response well I think it was like the dreaming Italy piece and that's weird because they saw my work and one of them mentioned that they saw like a video I did of a slug in my backyard and I set it to the music of the dark night. It was just this like dramatic, stupid video and they loved the style of it and they loved all my little travel things I was doing and they asked me to come there to be like like a part of this and I, I was like, you fine? are you kidding me? Of course. And so I went there and- There being my, where? Um, Italy, Italy. It was my first Italy video, and uh, that after that one, and I just put my all into it. I borrowed like a friend's like seven Ds. The first time I ever used it in my life, <laughs> and I was scared. I know the, the yeah, because like, it should be mentioned that you were you were making all of this stuff and getting so much notoriety with shit gear. Yeah, like exactly. Low yeah. low fi stuff. I think I think my first like seven staff picks or something were done with the video camera that that took you know tapes still I was I still had DV, a little mini collection. DV. Uh yeah I think so I, I don't know yeah. like yeah just like the little small tapes or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, so I had all these little collection okay so this video is eight tapes long this one's six tapes long, you know that kind of thing and I would it was just crazy that and then everyone was using like a seven D's at that point and all that stuff and I was like I I can't even think about how to mess with this thing and I, I'm not I, I'm not a technical person in the least bit and all that stuff scares me and so when well, I had this I was this gonna cam- ask cause like as you like if you, I can't believe that you went seven staff picks deep before you stopped using a mini DV camera like was there not this desire in your mind to grow out of the one man band situation like were you not viewing it like something that you wanted to graduate from because you seem it sounds like you were so comfortable doing that um, that it wasn't I know for a lot of people it's something to surpass but mm-hmm. you must have been viewing that differently Um, I didn't believe that it was I still didn't believe it was possible for me to actually like make money and I still wasn't making money at that point and I wasn't making any money off of any of these videos and and that stuff I was just I was, had a passion for it I I think the yeah. first video I actually did make money off of and I was so excited was uh I think it was the ballerina thing but it was um for the like you know the local ballet and they paid me a whole three hundred dollars <laughs> to do this Gosh. piece that I put a lot of effort in in the video I mean for what it was I, I like sat in basically one spot and filmed this stage and, and I don't do live pieces or whatever but I wanted to challenge myself and I was like and they're paying me like at that at that point like you know three hundred dollars was a lot of money to like plan shoot edit I mean you know what I mean because because it's yeah it's better well than- you're also coming from a totally different mindset of 
I don't know how much this affects that understanding of money, but like coming from a childhood of homelessness, I could see how like not not knowing how to replace like real value or like understanding the for value sure. of things because like 300 is obviously wildly under sure, price but sure. at the same time for you it's like there isn't a way to judge that fact yeah exactly yeah because i was getting like minimum wage at a doggy a daycare you know so like you know 300 bucks was like four days of work there or something you know what i mean yeah so it was like it was a lot of money for me but um yeah i mean i i just i mean after the italy piece that's when people started to like notice my style start to take shape because before that when i left the um country for the first time i went to spain and i met with like a band that i was like really like in love with and i did a music video for them which i didn't like at all because it was like really i didn't know anything about like in production back then you know but yeah. um, I wanted to film all of Spain. Like, I never thought I would ever leave the, like, U.S. in my life. So the fact that I was going there, like, was the biggest deal ever. I was, like, sweating on the plane with excitement and fear and all these things. And I just told myself, every place I go to, I'm going to film how I feel. Like, mm. I'm gonna f I want people to, like, feel how I felt when I was there. And when I went to Spain, like, it was at the end of winter and it was still gloomy. And, like, everything seemed dark and gloomy. And I loved... I, I mean, I, I love, you know, dark and gloomy, obviously. And I love, like, Overcast, which is why I live in Seattle. <laughs> but uh, as I was filming, I was feeling like, gosh, there's, I've never seen buildings this old in my life. And everyone seems so, like, relaxed. But it felt suspicious almost. And I felt like maybe there were, like, werewolves. And, like, my mind was going crazy. So, 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 so the film is very dark and mysterious. And the song is even called Werewolf. And... Uh, but then while I was like editing it and shooting it, I was realizing I could see my style developing because you know, before that it was like test videos. And now this is like a real uh, video of Spain. I'm like, I have to like, you know, show like a portrait of Spain basically. And I really wanted to hone in on my craft on that piece. I think I, I, I was like ready at that point to like evolve it. And so mm. the Spain piece, that's where the fluid stuff, like it, it became more like noticeable then and but it all has purpose and it's not just like some random jolt and and it was also when i was learning like even one frame counts if you like move from one shot to the next one frame can screw it up or make it awesome even and i was like man this is so tedious and then i just became so obsessed with the little intricate cuts of a piece yeah. and well, i that's started a to Maddie just Brown piece to me yeah, exactly, exactly. And then and then with that same piece, I was like, sound design is like the thing in my mind that fuses the music and the visuals into one single thing. I mean, it, it, because yeah. you're, you you know, I don't, it, it's just, it's just how I feel like about sound is just, and so I really wanted to hone on that. So I started really getting involved and uh, I use a lot of train sounds in that piece and trains have been a huge part of all of my pieces i think every piece i've ever made has some train sound in it like you'll like hear a moaning or an aching i just think why trains, do you think that is i just I, i've always been obsessed with like like bass and deepness and like the like inner workings of a person or like you know like the like you know depths of a cave or something i would i would stick my head into like a piano and like hit one of the things and hear it drone out forever and you mm. can just hear that little thing going on forever and ever and ever and it was just almost like an ominous quality to it you know which actually like fascinated me so with trains they're so massive and but they're so smooth and they glide almost like there's like they're floating almost you know yeah and they're so like elegant when they move but the sounds of them the crushing like nature of a train and it and the fact that it can't stop for a mile and like all that stuff I've always been just obsessed with them. And actually, trains are like a major, major part of Thump. They're actually in the film. It's the climax. I mean, it sounds clearly like Thump is, um, you know, the summation of what you've gone through in life so exactly, far. Exactly, exactly. And the feature is like, uh, it's the like a... I mean, in a nutshell, my childhood. I'm like well, you said autobiographical. It yeah, so. it, it's like I mean, some of the scenes are like exactly what happened. My, you know, I mean, people aren't yeah. gonna believe some of this stuff. I've told stuff that that has happened in my childhood. People are like, oh, come on, that's bullshit. People question me all the time about that stuff, and I'm like, I will the, fly the, to them. How, what? How bad? How bad homelessness was for you? Yeah, but just not not just that. Mostly like the people that were around me. It was it was like unadulterated white trash. It was 
full mm. of meth heads. I mean, everywhere was a meth head, meth head, meth head. Oh, I can't imagine. Drug dealer, like abuser. Like I would. I mean, there wasn't one day that I wouldn't like come across a really weird moment of like a crackhead or something unless i stayed in my room of course but then we had crackheads over our house and like all this guy so i was like a very observant kid and it was really interesting because kids who like are in that kind of uh circumstance and have to be immersed in that stuff often become like that and they are influenced yeah. by that and they do drugs but it's like how did you I was, how did you manage well, i just like I, I think i just learned all all of those mistakes by watching them without having to do it i'm like holy fuck i don't ever want to be like these people and i think just like holding on in my head about the people in my like fantasy world and all the stories mm. I've, I've like written like those people like kind of depended on me <laughs> you created your own role models yeah exactly and so, I, and so I needed, yeah exactly and so, so i needed to be there to like I, I don't know it's hard to explain that sort of aspect but certainly I, yeah no i, I mean, mean I, I just kind of saw these people and was like i don't want to i can't be like them i will never i have to get away from here or else i'm going to kill myself basically and so i just kind of observed them and I have a curse where I have a photographic memory and I retain everything so I can like go through my entire childhood and just visualize and remember all this stuff that I've actually tried really hard to like get out of okay. my mind but yeah. it's still there and so I'm using it creatively to tell into this story and I mean there's going to be so many kids out there well I don't know if kids can watch this film it's really intense and really dark and but for the the short of thump uh, it's not about meth heads and like white trash america and trailer parks and stuff like that right right uh because we didn't have we didn't have a budget it it, 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 it also kind of like evolved over the course of like editing the film and i wasn't planning on writing a feature script out of it and just this last month we're like now moving into that because a lot of interest is happening on the short itself and so That's i was like fantastic. well, well the, the short is nothing compared to the like what intensity, a, yeah, the depth, what the feature the can be. Yeah, it's and so you know, combining like Larry's uh, original like short you know children's story with my childhood and stuff, it becomes something like I don't know. It's gonna rip people's hearts out, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what the film's gonna do but it's but gonna be like good, wild I mean, hey man like you're making people feel and, yeah and like one of the reasons I've been so scared of like going in a narrative which I think well, I, I started in like you know travel pieces because they, they, they like Italian film uh, well I wanted it I wanted to like oh, okay. not not to jump ahead but like okay. to kind of go in that in that order because you started doing that travel stuff and then at some point you started having commercial success and I'm curious um, what that transition was like and how you navigated it and how you because it seems, at least from an outsider's perspective, like you've you've done a pretty good job of fielding the opportunities that have come your your way, and I'm curious, like how those manifested and how you viewed them. Well, I mean, I still wasn't taking myself seriously after the, the like Italian film, which was like the thing that started to propel me, and like everyone started wanting to know more about my work, and then I started getting a lot of emails from people wanting to like learn that style and. <laughs> all that stuff which I'm like I don't even I don't know I don't know how to tell you because I don't even know myself I just I mean when I shot that like Italy piece I hope that they don't listen to this but it was on like 3000 ISO in bright sun or something or, or like whatever those like a really high number of something and people were yelling like oh my god what the hell are you doing you have to oh my this is gonna look horrible and I was scared to death that it was gonna look really bad and but it looked good on the screen so I didn't think anything of it and when I put it into the like editing it looked fine to me so I must have done something that worked okay i mean it was grainy a little bit but like it still worked really well and it's just me playing around with it trying to do it but so i started doing travel pieces for like a while and that was kind of i really wanted to do that mostly because well to travel and to experience these different places because it was always a dream of mine to actually do that you know right but right. then also i knew that if i did travel pieces that i could really I always thought when I was a kid that in order for me to be like the best you know director and storyteller that, that, that I can be, I must understand editing and shooting and 
all that stuff because when I work with people that do that, I have such a specific style, like a, like a really specific vision that I want to translate it to them and even do it with them, you know? And so I really didn't, I didn't think it was like possible to like, you know, work with a lot of people because I didn't think people would understand what I was trying to do. You know what I mean? Yes. And yes. so after a little while with the travel pieces, I was getting really like you know, burnt out on it because I was just doing too many and I was I just like, that. I need, I need something different and new and it can't be travel anymore. And, and then I get this random message and I, I, I signed with a company uh, for like, you know, like in branding and it was like a little company a in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, right. I'm not going to get something like no one's going to, you know, I, I've never done a commercial in my life. And then, they reached out to you. Yeah. And they, yeah. And, uh, but then it was weird cause I got an email, uh, I guess Chevron was doing a really big, like, like uh, 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 it was a commercial in like you know, Europe, and it was like a multi-million-dollar commercial, and yeah. they were a bunch of people were up for it, and I, I wasn't even bidding or anything on it, and they put me in the mix because they really liked the um, uh, that's a dive piece I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, we really like his style. And like, this could be like a fresh look at this piece. And so they put me in the mix and I got on the phone with them. I, I stuttered my ass off. All my notes were like everywhere. And I fumbled really bad. And I think the call, they just said like, well, that was interesting. Okay, thank you very much. Bye. And <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. But then they gave me a chance to write the treatment. I've never written like written a treatment in my life. And the like the producers are saying, we're going to have a, like a like a person make one for you. And I was like, no. I I know the vision. I'm I'm a really good writer, so let me just write out the, the like treatment. And they and they were kind of nervous that that I would fuck up on on the treatment. Obviously, I mean I, I really don't blame them. <laughs> but but they loved it. They said, "Wow, we love what you want to do with it. Let's like you know, get on the phone one more time." And at that point, I studied it, and I was like, "Wow, this is a real thing. I, I should actually take this seriously because they they really mean it. It's not just a thing where I'm gonna get my hopes up and like smashed again, you know." So, so we, this was the first time you actually felt that there was a possibility of success. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, wow, I'm actually in the running for this thing. It's, it's like a possibility to actually get this project. And the next thing I know, they call me and say, do you, you, do you want to go to Poland next week and shoot this commercial? And I was like, oh, my God. And the next thing I know, I'm on the phone with the like cinematographer of the great and Gatsby, and he wants to shoot it with me and like all this crap. And it was just like this mind-blowing it was a dream it really was the whole the whole thing was a dream because it we how are you like how are you processing that especially i mean because it's great that you know the the cinematographer from the great gatsby is is calling you to be your cinematographer but for a guy who has been by himself doing it on your own out of like a fear of of losing your style with other people like it to a certain extent i could understand the fear like it doesn't matter that he's a hollywood cinematographer like you have you have your style and like you were concerned that no one else can necessarily do it like what well, was the I was, fear I was, I, w- I was more concerned that i would fail that like mm-hmm. it would, that, that makes total sense that, that it wouldn't translate to commercials that doesn't translate to narratives because no one wants to watch a feature film in that style there's i mean in that style all the way through yeah it's like after impossible. two minutes it needs after, to end, yeah. yeah exactly exactly that's why i think most of the time i've done are like four minutes at the max you know what i mean yeah because yeah. i think people they fall away from it but uh i think it was just a fear of like failing the fear of like really screwing up my first project and it was such a big project it was like hell you by sensed yeah the, the, yeah the weight of it yeah exactly and but I also cried like a lot like when I got the phone I cried for a good amount of time in shock that I like people actually believed in me you know what I mean it was like the first moment that I was I like I can't imagine Holy man, the journey you've been on is yeah. quite outrageous and then I and then I quit my job at the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the good for you. that but, must have felt great but uh, I mean, you know, still to this day, I think a lot of clients, a lot of brands, they like they're like nervous with my style. You know, they like don't it is know a gamble. How, yeah. And they, and they don't know how to treat it. And, you know, I've I, I've like purposely toned back because I, I want to go into narratives and features and stuff. And my style doesn't work like constantly through that stuff. And so I, I started toning back and wanting to, wanting to tell stories and stuff and have it breathe and actually like you like you know have a story you know yeah and, have and, have more narrative pacing yeah and so for travel pieces like i mean it's flashy you like make it flashy even if it slows down you still feel like we're gonna ramp up into another flashy moment and it's really difficult to like tell an engaging new story in travel unless you're just following around a couple for two days you know what well, i mean yeah, or something yeah. like that 
And so, um, but how did the Chevron piece go? It was awesome. We had it was. What was it like working on a scale that size with a crew like that? It was. How was that experience? The transition for you? I mean, it was. It was seriously like being in in a lucid dream. I mean, seriously, I was like, I don't know if you remember, like in The Simpsons when Homer went into that into his chocolate dream world, and he's like, dick, 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 dick. Like, like that's what it felt yeah. like. I was, I felt like I was like, I can't believe this is happening, and I was scared to go on the first day of the like the like shoot, and we were like in a car with all the producers in this like Sprinter van, and all the all their seats were facing me, and it was just this quiet ride there, even though we were. We were, I was with them for like the last like you know week and a half, and we had a wonderful time with each other, like in building it up. But the, then I got on the set, I was like, oh my god, we had we like built a farm, like we like created the with the fence, the the cow, the hay, the the wagons, the whatever, you know. And uh, I come on the set, there's like 20 big trucks everywhere, and like all these people, and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? And I just kind of walked there aimlessly. And Simon um, Duggan, who is the like you know, Great Gatsby guy, he handed me. <laughs> The I don't even know what it's called. The things that you look before you the shoot. Director's lens. Yeah, and and he's like, just like point it that way. <laughs> and he kind of took me under his wing, and uh, it was just it was amazing. It was like he like taught me so much about stuff we were shooting on the like the like the re like Alexa the big one or whatever and. Mm-hmm. I had never seen a camera like that in my life, and uh, the amount of crews, like eighty-person crew, and it was like, yeah. And I mean, it sounds like a massive undertaking. Yeah, and it was just—I mean, at first I was scared shitless, but then halfway through the first day, I got my legs, and I understood. Okay, now I understand. What happened? Like, what happened that gave you that? It was just a comfortability. I think everybody showing me, like, we're on board with you, Maddie. Do it, dude. You have a great you know, vision, whatever. And that's when I just got my like sea legs, and I just was like wow cool i can just do my thing i can just and so i really started doing my thing you know it was really nice and i had some crazy like ideas of like i want the camera to fly in really fast and like you know pigeons to come into the camera right as we like approach the like like a girl so like when we come in it comes in really fast and it goes in a really slow motion for a second with the pigeons in front of her you know and i didn't want it to be like cgi i wanted to be all like real stuff and so you must have been giving a few people a heart attack it was (laughs) (laughs) but we had these like pigeon trainer people and they're just throwing the pigeons every shot like four into the shot and the girl in front of the camera was like because they almost hit her in a few parts people were getting hit and it was also the same shot as like we closed the whole intersection down and there were tons of people walking in the crosswalks and there was like, you know, forever as the eye can see, we have like fake restaurants like with people outside. So it was like a really kind of a crazy shot as well. Um, but uh, I mean, it was it was just a really fun thing, and I just I don't think I got scared at all after that first uh, that first scene. I think that's I, amazing, I, man. That's absolutely. How long ago was that? That was I think it was uh, that was that was three years ago now. I think yeah, three years three ago. years ago. Yeah, yeah. And in that time, has that scope of work become the norm for you? Yeah. Now I'm I'm just full time. I do. Uh, commercials and stuff and and this last piece it was really nice because i worked with um lincoln on this piece and they they were open to my style you know and and i wanted to keep it elegant for their car because it's like a luxury car i didn't want to have too much flashy stuff so i felt that there was a really good balance and showing the the like the kind of poetry of this road trip and this car and um, I'm really excited that brands are able to open their minds to different things, you know, and it's it's kind of rare because people like want to stay safe and they don't want to do anything that's going to make people go like, what is this brand? Like, why are they, you know what I mean? Mm. So, so I've been, I mean, I, I like learn on, on like every shoot and stuff and like, but doing stuff for like, I mean, most things are like normal commercials because <laughs> that's what you have. It's hard to break to get that style. But, you know, you can see my style in a, in a little bit of everything. But I, I feature the ones that are like More you. actually let me do crazy stuff. And, yeah. Um, but what's nice, I mean, once you once your style is proven again and again and there's a track record of it and it's strong and unique. You know, you have this yeah. added benefit that people, when they come to you, they are, they know what they're getting. So when they're coming to you, it's because they want it. For sure. And it's actually really cool because I see the style everywhere now, you know. I was going to say, um, like, I don't know. I find that because you're talking about how your style is being replicated or that you're seeing more of it. And I, it's fascinating. I, I just, a lot of the people from the early days of Vimeo that ended up really kind of 
having their moment and making their mark. You in particular, I think of um, Khalid on the cinematography side. A lot of like the style that was coming genuinely out of those people, you included, has now I, has is now kind of prevalent around the industry. And I think that you were just, you know, leading a certain thing without even realizing it or meaning yeah. to. It was just your I actually style. Didn't, and- I actually didn't realize it until uh, Vimeo, I think, did like an article or something about it. And they said, well, one of them was like, how the hell can you even know how to turn on the camera? Like, <laughs> let alone <laughs> pressing these, because it's like, it's like, it's like an anomaly to like be able to shoot well and edit really well without really knowing much. Like just like a few years ago, one of my friends was like, maybe you should crush those blacks. And I'm like, what the, what do you mean crush the blacks? What does that mean? I thought it was like a stupid, like a joke or something. And he's like, no, you like make the blacks darker or whatever. Or I don't even know if that's it. I don't know. Is it, it is, the way? It okay. Is, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't want to say something stupid on here that. No, you're not. Uh, I, I mean, but that's that's astounding to me. Like, it's but, crazy because knowing the type of quality of work you put out. Well, it also does. It is kind of interesting, too, though, because like, for example, you know, like that first Chevron commercial. And now you've had three years of that quality, that level of production um, and the production value. But at the same time, it was almost it was a safer bet for Chevron than one might realize in that the set was in control by the DP of The Great Gatsby. Yeah. And well, then actually, it was actually, you. And then like you're there for all of these interesting creative ideas. And it's actually kind of a nice safety net because it's it doesn't yeah. it isn't all falling on you. Yeah, exactly. Well, I felt like it was it was very controlled anyway, regardless of which creative was on it. Yes. They th- they knew what they wanted and yes. they like saw my vision. They liked it. And then they wanted to do certain things with it, which like worked for them, you know. Um, for mm-hmm. for me, I wanted to do really crazy stuff. Uh, there's some parts that I mean, like Simon and I sat in this really tall grass for a little while, playing with the grass and the blowing wind and the hand falling. And I wanted it, it to be the last shot of the piece with the grass and the blue sky and this hand kind of falling into this thing. So you kind of feel like you're part of this, the nature and whatever. And it's almost kind of dreamlike in a way, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they used it in the actual piece. Uh, but, and there's yeah. a lot of crazy close-ups, like the little girl running and she hits her foot on the ground and those leaves are blowing by and everyone said, you can't do that. It's not going to work. You're not going to hit the spot. I'm like, yeah, we will. Trust me. I know what I'm... And, and when anyone tells me I can't do something, I, I fucking do it. I make sure I do it. Like almost immediately <laughs> right after just to show that <laughs> don't ever tell me what I can't do. I, I don't... Everyone... I, because I, I love to do a lot of practical stuff and like when I did the... Um, piano piece which is one of my favorite ones they like let me do whatever the hell i wanted to do on that piece and but i i wanted to make her look like she's getting sucked into the piano and they're like there's no way you can do that and like of course there is like don't ever say you can't like it's all camera trickery you know that's all it is and and i was like and i know exactly how i'm I'm gonna do it you know take off that dress and like give me your uh, slacks and they're like okay (laughs) so i just put her dress on a hanger put his pants filled up with stuff in the lower part of the dress so it so when it hit the piano it went up and it looked like her legs were getting pulled up because if we hit those legs they get they bounce up so i just pulled it in and they're like oh my god that worked because it's only on there for like a split moment but with all the other stuff added to it around it and i it, it i love it real. i mean you're sh- you're the best part about all of this is that you're shooting from the hip like there's no prep for that yeah there's exactly. no training for that exactly where do you, what do you think that is in terms of like character definition, like just, I don't know, uh, an open mind? Like what, what is it that gives you that, I guess, a, a certain amount of confidence on a multi-million dollar set to kind of fuck around until you figure it out? Well, I think one of the things is like on any shoot, and I I, and I say this all the, all the time now, is like just kind of seeing things as a child, like for the first time. It's funny because I actually, someone tried to insult me recently saying that my style looks like I'm finger painting or something. And uh, I was really like complimented, by that. and they said other things, but I, I was like, "Well, I take it as a compliment." And then, but I'm like, "You really should not be going into a story or anything 
like thinking you know exactly what it is that you want. I, I mean, you should like have a plan. You should have things drawn out or whatever, but I definitely think you should keep your mind huge and open for like what else you could do. And on my sets, if like a production assistant has an idea, I want to hear that because I want to make this piece the best it can be. And so we troubleshoot stuff and I want to shoot things, you know, practically like a lot. So I'll like often like, you put my head with everybody and say like, how can we actually make this happen? Let's think of like a way that we can make it, you know? And so I think it's like a collaborative thing that I really love in films. And that's what I've always dreamed of making feature films because the amount of like a collaboration with the producers and all the creatives on the set and all the like actors and the, all the tech people, like that orchestration is something that I've always dreamed of doing. So working on Thump, that was a dream to like be able to like work with all these people and we had someone that wasn't even a production assistant that is like i think like an ad and assistant yeah who uh worked on it as a production assistant you know what i mean to like you know, yeah. help us out and like so my mind is i don't care if they're in craft services <laughs> like I, everybody yeah. everybody has ideas they're all in the same film with i think it, that's like the best way to do it you know and so i uh, I don't know if we're off if we're off your topic, but uh, I mean that's kind of the no, way it's... I've always wanted to shoot, and now I'm able to do that because working on a on a creative set where they just put all the control in my hands, yeah. and I'm like bring in people who don't yell at others, like make it a solid like unit of Goodbye. friends and stuff like that. And so that's kind of I mean because I'm really like anyone's energy gets like sucked into me. So however anyone's feeling, I'll feel. So mm. if there's a person crying in their scene, I'll like start to tear up and feel what they're feeling. And if there's someone screaming in the set, then I'll be like really irritated. So I have to go talk to them and say, "Don't do that." But let's all be on like awesome, just in a great mood. You know what I mean? So uh, I think that's one of the best aspects of this is now that I'm going in a narrative, and, and I'm taking some more time off now so I can write because. I'm like writing a, like a feature for the first time in like you know ten years because I wrote a ton looking back then, but then once my camera came, I was out filming everything, and so there was no need for a script. You know what I mean? And yeah. so now, well, especially it's, in that early style, yes. Yeah, exactly. And so now I'm like going through this feature, and like uh, I have this, I like installed like a whiteboard in my room, and it's just covered in notes and drawings of what I wanted for the film. And now we're actually writing it, and it's just so fun. And, the, and I know. mean, the three years of that high-level commercial stuff has given you an understanding of production at that scale. Yeah, exactly. It, it definitely made me like you know confident going into these like you know, narratives and stuff it makes me like understand like so this yeah if i didn't do like a commercial before my film i, I would have probably never made a film i would have probably been too scared to make it. i would have been like probably already disappointed in myself and failing like right off the bat by not doing it but the fact yeah. that i inadvertently got launched into commercials and being able to like have money to take some time off to actually write these like films and uh, but it's weird because every time I take time off, I because of being homeless and stuff, my mind is like I'm not making money. So I'm like, but I'm, well, but I'm, you know what I mean? So, yeah. well, I mean that's that's the thing that we all deal with, and for sure, <laughs> I can't imagine. You know, it, it's anxiety enough for people who had a normal upbringing. I can't imagine. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's like a it's, fear. A, it's definitely like a it's definitely a big fear. I mean, even if I have six figures, I will still be worrying that like I'm gonna lose it all somewhere. I'm gonna get hit by a car and then have to spend all this money on my medicals. I, I always think of stuff like that. But now that like I'm going into narratives, it's like this is the love of my life is like narratives. Like that's all my mind has been going for my whole life is to make narrative films, not like travel pieces, not commercials and stuff. Narratives is where I've been wanting to go to, but travel pieces are so important in my life. You know, commercials are so important, art films, experimentations. Like I'll sit in my backyard and play with like toys and like <laughs> like film them and try to figure out like how could I make, how could I challenge myself to make this interesting? And like, how can you film a stop sign and make people cry? You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. And <laughs> so it, it really, it's, those are really good exercises in like evolving your craft and how you can really manipulate what is actually happening into tricking people into feeling this emotion. And that's, that, that was the best thing about travel pieces was that there's no story in them. It's like a, it's like a visual portrait of this place. So you're forced to tell a story through just emotion. And that was the most amazing part because I found the story arcs and a lot of people that do 
my style in, in like pieces now, they don't let it breathe. They don't let the arcs. They don't have well, the yeah. emotional Well, that's aspect. the difference between the spe- that's the special sauce. Yeah, like, exactly. You, have you to know, tease like them. anybody like, can yeah. run around and film a ton of shit in the place and then put it exactly. together and like cut to the beat. That's not it. Exactly. exactly. That was never it. Exactly, and and like you know, you know, you know, people see just a bunch of random images, but if you watch like one of my favorite you know pieces that I did was like one of the first ones was the like the um, Portuguese you know travel piece. Uh, it, it was my like goal for that one was like nostalgia. I, I wanted a sentimental, and I'm like, how do you capture nostalgia? Like that's such a a difficult thing to capture. It's not scary. It's not happy. It's not. It's like a specific feeling, and that's what I wanted to capture. And uh, so when I was shooting it, I just I had no idea what I was doing, and it wasn't working the first couple of days. And then I was like, oh my god, I get it. It's like looking into people's memories, into their minds, and I, I I need to blur the lens. I need to shake it. I need to like put a like a freaking like you know bag over it. So I film it. So it's like blurred memories. So you're seeing people's memories in their past. And that's how I got that style of like putting my yeah. fingers in front of the lens and like all that kind of stuff. Of, and uh, but then just I just constant story experimentation. Exactly, but you can tell a story with random images by just emotion. Like there's the like the it still has an intro that you like build into stuff and the slow climax and it goes up and down. And so I was understanding Act One, Two, and Three of a travel piece. And a lot of people don't understand that there's that you have to tell a story in it. It does yeah. have to breathe and stuff, no matter. what what kind of you know, travel piece it is that it, it needs to have that or you kind of lose some stuff in it, you know? And it's funny that, you know, the, the genres that you've spent your career in so far in all of their little ways are leading towards helping you figure out narrative without question. Absolutely. And, I, and go ahead. I credit all, like, on my uh, YouTube page, there's a lot more looking videos than the Vimeo. When I saw Vimeo for the first time, it was like the Holy Grail, and I was like, "Fuck YouTube!" And I just went there. You know what I mean? But if you if you look before Vimeo, you'll see. I mean, this is what I tell like film students and stuff. It's like you have to just keep creating constantly, no matter if it's shitty or not. You have to just keep creating stuff and experimenting. And that's all there is to it. And I had the worst videos on there. Like I have the most pathetic stuff on there. And I think that's one thing I keep telling people is like, it doesn't matter if it sucks. Like put it online. Like that like little slug piece. It got me a little like a project in like Italy, and it was a stupid yeah. experiment in my, in my like yard. You know. What I mean? <laughs> so. No, that's great, man. I guess I I wanted to finish out with because I've been thinking, you know, like it must be, you know, to be a successful commercial director is also to just is to be successful financially you know yeah. and considering your background and where you came from that's just got to feel i i mean uh, accomplished or you know pride like i I'm, I'm just curious how often you might reflect on that um i do reflect on it I, i'm i'm extremely proud of myself that's for damn sure <laughs> like <laughs> i mean not just i mean not for getting these projects and not for like uh my style and stuff but the fact that i like from nothing like literally i had no help no like anything and it's just like all this is coming from nothing and just a dream it's kind of that like a cliche thing but it's true like i just had this thing this urge to just keep creating constantly and i never gave up and even when i was working at doggy daycare or sitting in my room for like months at a time like hating my life or hating myself and thinking I had, I was worth nothing and my videos sucked and uh, the fact that I kept going and there was so much doubt there's so many people that doubted me and said I would never make it and like you're like too weak minded and you're not you're like you like can't you know have any quality stuff and uh, I just kind of pushed through that and kind of you know proved them them wrong <laughs> you know what i mean and yeah but even now like i i'm like uh i'm in shock basically that i'm still pushing through and the fact that so many people believe in me that's why like now we're pushing hard for these like narrative pieces and that's kind of where i'm going now with that and but yeah i'm like in shock that i'm i think mostly shocked that i i don't believe it still and i think that there's always this sense of like it's all gonna just get ripped out from underneath me so i i never mm. take it for granted i never get comfortable like too comfortable with it i'm always looking for something more i have to do something new and different and stuff like that and and i think that's why i'm like going into the whole you know 
narrative world and challenge my myself like let's put your stories to the test now like you know what i mean let's actually make your stories since you kind of mastered editing and shooting and all this kind of stuff and now i know how to work with the editor and this cinematographer to get exactly what i want and to find people that are that like know this kind of stuff and the like the like editor of thump is like I never thought I would meet a person who could just get that style and really do it. It's beautiful. Like what he did with it is fucking like phenomenal. I love it. I mean, he like did stuff that I was that like uh, I wouldn't even think of, you know. <clears throat> and so that's part of the collaboration that I like too is that people like get what I want to do and then want to put themselves in it as well and like show me something new, you know. And so yeah. th- that's why I'm excited. It's like now I'm actually being able to collaborate with with people with my style and with their style and like all the you know what i mean so it's 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 been a a dream basically to do that (laughs) man yeah man it's so cool to hear hear your your story in full um like i mentioned i've been following your work for a long time and it's it's great to watch it mature and grow and um i'm excited to see thump the short and i'm i'm excited to uh, you know i'm sure a year or two or however long it takes to see thump the uh the the feature (laughs) and um yeah man i just thanks so much for sharing and 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 giving all that detail it's been great hearing it thank you man i really like appreciate that (laughs) and i and i hope my uh like stuttering didn't uh (laughs) oh no dude absolutely (laughs) not it's who you are thanks so much man. awesome man thank you very much dude